Praise the Lord, everybody. Amen. One more time, God has permitted us to come into his house. And I don't take that for granted. Pastor was quoting that scripture in the prayer room tonight that said, I was glad when they said unto me, let us go into the house of the Lord. You know why? Because David knew that was his desire. One thing have I desired, and that will I seek after, that I might dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life. This is amazing. So uh, I notice Brother Pickering, this is all to scale, it looks like. Is that correct? Pretty close to it. The covering over the sanctuary actually has a little strip that it didn't look like that originally. But he had that where you can take that off and look and see the, the high priest as a ministers inside the sanctuary and in the Holy of Holies. And so I uh, counted an honor tonight to be able to teach for a few services on this tabernacle worship model. I want to begin with the same scripture we used on lesson one. We were talking mainly then about the altar, but our, we're kind of going in from the, from the gate. You, some of you just kind of give you a little uh, reminder of last lesson. The Bible said, I will enter into his gates with praise, enter his courts with thanksgiving. There were gates that were around this whole assembly and this entered into the courtyard. And so the Bible said, I will enter into his gates with praise into his courts with thanksgiving. And the first piece of furniture in that uh, area in the courtyard was the brazen altar. And we talked about how important it is to enter into the house of God, enter into the presence of the Lord with praise and with worship. And then that beautiful part of worship that we don't think too much in the line of worship is sacrifice. One scripture said, offering the sacrifice of praise, I will worship the Lord. I will offer him up the sacrifice. How many of you believe he's worthy of all praise and glory? Hallelujah. I want you to, if you would, just stand with me before we begin our, our lesson this evening. And we're going to ask God's presence to move in this service, in this part of this service, because I realize that without him, I can do nothing. And I'm, I'm standing up here and going to try my best to give you my best in teaching this that God has laid on my heart. But if he doesn't anoint my lips of clay and your ears of clay to receive it into your heart, it's not going to be profitable. But if we will let the anointing of God flow into this place tonight and let the Spirit of the Lord combine with His Word, when the Spirit and the truth combine together, that's the ingredients of worship. And God will do His will and His Word won't return to Him for Father, we thank You tonight for the precious Spirit of the Lord that we can feel in this place. We thank You for the saints of God that have gathered together in your name in this house of worship. Now God send your anointing and use us Lord for your glory in Jesus name and we'll praise you for it. And everybody said amen. God bless you. You may be seated. We're going to begin with the same scripture we started with on our first lesson from Hebrews the 8th chapter and verse 5 concerning the priesthood the Bible says that the priesthood served unto the example and shadow of heavenly things as Moses was admonished of God when he was about to make the tabernacle. For see, saith he, that thou make all things according to the pattern showed to thee in the mount. Everybody say according to the pattern. All of this, he said, is to serve as an example and a shadow of the things that were to come. 
When I think about how long the children of Israel had spent in the heathen country of Egypt, 430 years, God had to take a group of some, we know there were 600,000 footmen, soldiers that were men that were 20 years old and upward. We don't know how many are children, how many women there were there, but there had to be somewhere, had to be close to, to a million and a half people, maybe even more than that, coming out of Egypt. And God had to take those people and try to get Egypt out of them. And he had a plan. Praise the Lord. There's just something about this tabernacle plan God, if, if, matter of fact, if you look at it actually from, from the, the top, like you're looking down at this, it's made kind of like a cross. When you walk in, there's the brazen altar, there's the brazen laver, then you go right on into the sanctuary, and then on to the left side are the, is the golden candlesticks on the right side, the table of showbread, and right before in front of the, uh, the veil that separated the sanctuary from the holy of holies is that altar of incense and then right in there is the ark of the covenant and where the shekinah glory of God would come down so it's actually stretched out like a like a cross and that's not all coincidence either because God had a plan didn't he and he said all of this is going to go according to the pattern that I showed you in the mount and it will all be for an example and foreshadow now notice this was the job of the priesthood to go first of all, uh, and I want to say, let me qualify this. We're not talking necessarily about the order that all of this furniture is in because sometimes they went back and forth out here in this outer court from the altar to the laver and from the laver to the altar. And we'll, we'll talk about that a little bit more. But the priesthood did all of this as an example and shadow, not only of Jesus Christ as our high priest, but we as saints of God who are in the priesthood. Because you may not realize it, but did you know, according to the word of God, you are a priest. We are kings and priests with Christ Jesus. First Peter 2 and 9 says, but ye are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood. Amen. A holy nation, a peculiar people that we should show forth the what? The praises of him who hath called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. He made us priests and kings with him to rule and reign with him and that we can show forth our praise and worship and the whole world can see that light through our worship. Pastor was talking about the, the cameras and, and uh, 180 to 200 people, who knows? This thing can go worldwide. There could be 2,000 people every service or 10,000 people watching what's going on. But the most important thing is not how good we can sing. It's not how much we can play instruments with great talent. It's not how good the cameramen can move around. The most important thing is that people can see the light of the glory of God in his tabernacle, which is who? It's us. We are the tabernacle. We are the house of God. So looking at this in that light, we are a royal priesthood, a chosen generation, a holy nation. So we, in the, following the pattern and the example and the shadow of the priesthood, first of all, remembering that how important that worship is in sacrifice. Sacrifice is an integral part of our worship. It must be. Because uh, I thought of David when the scripture said that uh, he said, God forbid that I offer something to the Lord that didn't cost me anything. It, it ought to cost us a little something when we begin to praise the Lord. 
Come on, you say, well, well my, my arms are uh, really tired. I don't know if I can lift them up. But sometimes when you push on through that pain and you push on through and you sacrifice a little, when your body doesn't feel like standing up, but something in you said, you know what? I used to stand up when I was going to those football games and, and I would holler. I, I can surely stand up for the Lord and give him some praise and give him some worship and give him some glory. So... There, there is a, there is an altar. We were the, the blood's got to be shed. Where the flesh has got to die, and I, and, and I, let's all be honest. We're all human, made of the same old stuff, dirt. We are of the earth, earthy. The Bible says. So understanding that, we all have the same problem, and it's a big old problem called pride. And a lot of times, because of pride. We don't turn loose and worship God like we really ought to. We're worried about what somebody's going to think about us. Or we're concerned about, uh, you know, maybe somebody won't think anything about me at all. Maybe, you know, but we've got to understand that praising God and worshiping God is, is not a show. It's got to be from down in here. Jesus said to the Pharisees, you honor me with your lips, but your heart is far from me. I want to, I want to worship God from my heart. Come on, I want it to be a sacrificial praise unto God. Something that costs me something. I'm not the best dancer in the world. Matter of fact, I hardly ever did any of it, even when I wasn't really in church like I ought to be in. Back then, it wasn't hard to do either. It was called the twist, and all you did was. I could kind of do that, you know. But I got to thinking how foolish sometimes we do look when we go to praising God in the dance and the Bible said praise him in the dance and, and, and I, you know I could, I could do that but, but when I really get to feeling the presence of the Lord and anointing of God and I want to praise him in the dance I, I, I get tickled I see brother, brother Picker and he'll jump loose and man he'll go flying them legs are going out every which direction looks like a wild Indian having a, having a, a war dance and we are because we are in a war. And the devil would like to stop our praise and stop our worship and stop our sacrifice and keep us from getting to the altar where that, where, oh hallelujah, where our worship becomes sacrificial worship. So don't think of worship just as, just as a thing where we feel good because worship takes place whether you feel good or not. It's like the difference in being happy and having joy. Everybody's hung up on being happy. But I don't know of any promise in God's word that promises us to be happy, but I do know there's something that says the joy of the Lord is my strength. Because you, you can have the joy of the Lord when you're not happy. I don't feel too happy when I'm sick, neither do you. I don't feel happy when I'm tired, but I'll tell you what, that joy of the Lord is not dependent upon my circumstances or my environment or how my body feels. Uh, the joy of the Lord is a continual thing that envelops us and that we have through the Holy Ghost. If you've got the Holy Ghost, the Bible said that, that the kingdom of God is righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Ghost. Hallelujah. So coming from that altar, and the reason I'm saying this, we'll, we'll show you here some scripture on it here in a little bit. Sometimes even before, before they could go to the altar, they had to go to the labor. They had to be washed before they could handle the things at the altar. And then after handling the things at the altar, they had to go back to the labor again. So this was a continual journey. They had a, I don't, I don't know, he looks like he's got dirt or sand down there, but we almost need a worn out path between the labor and, and, and the altar. 
because they continually went back. Notice in Exodus 30, verse 17, and the Lord spake unto Moses saying, thou shalt also make a laver of brass and his foot also of brass to wash withal. And thou shalt put it between the tabernacle of the congregation and the altar. And thou shalt put water therein for Aaron and his sons, and watch this, shall wash their hands and their feet thereat. When they what? Go into the tabernacle of the congregation. They shall wash with water that they die not. Then he says, or when, or, 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 and when they come near to the altar to minister, to burn offering made by fire unto the Lord, so shall they wash their hands and their feet that they die not, and it shall be a statute forever to them, even to him and to his seed throughout their generations. Now the tabernacle, and that court area did not have nice carpet like we have tonight. Matter of fact, does anybody want to guess what it was made of? Dirt. So it was a dirty job. Those priests were continually getting their feet dirty, walking back and forth and doing the service and the worship unto God. There had to be a continual washing. Everybody say continual washing. And he said, because if they don't, then they're going to die. I thought of the scripture when I read that concerning knowing who Jesus is. Jesus said, except you believe that I am he, you will die in your sins. Do you know how important it is that we know who Jesus is? I was talking to Brother Gary Thomas couple days ago he calls me every once in a while and texts me every once in a while and sends me a, a prophetic word and from the Lord and he is just a, 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 an encourager talking about revival and what God is going to do and he always getting ready to he's got great great ideas and thoughts of what God is doing and getting ready to do and he told me he said brother Carson he said the man in our church uh, owns a business and he was at this particular house out in the country working on this person's air conditioner or whatever it is he does, I forget now. Satellites, that's what it was, hooking up satellite cable and all this stuff. And he said, uh, he noticed this woman that was there at the house. She looked, there was something about her, she just looked different. And he said, she got to talking to him and she said, I don't know what you are, but I feel like you're a church man. And he said, I am. I go to First Pentecostal Church where Brother Kinsey is the pastor. And he said, she said, well, I don't know everything y'all believe, but I, I do remember Brother Welch that used to be there many years ago. And he was a oneness preacher and debater and uh, stood for this oneness gospel and taught the people who Jesus was. She said, about 20-something years ago in Brownsville, there was a great revival in the Assembly of God. People heard about it from all over the world, the Brownsville Assembly. It started out as a one- or two-week revival. It wound up going on for years, actually. And thousands, literally thousands and thousands of people. I, I, I lived down there at that time and I went one night myself and just, there were lines of people. It's amazing seeing people lined up for blocks trying to wait for the church to open and get in there. And what it was, there was a move of the Holy Ghost that hit the pastor of that church and he just fell out on the floor. I'm gonna tell you, when we get to the point where we quit worrying about what people think about everything and what people are saying about this and saying about, and realize, hey, you know what? I got a soul that's either gonna be lost or it's gonna be found. It's gonna die or it's gonna live. And I need to get everything I can from God. 
And she said, I went to that revival so many years ago and I got the Holy Ghost. And she said, I, I, she said come here, I want to show you something. And she took him back to her room. And she said, this is my war room. I pray in this room and the glory of God comes down. She said, but I got a question I want to ask you since you're a church man. He said, what is it? She said, the other day I was in prayer and she said, God spoke to me and she said, I've never, first time in my life I've ever heard an audible voice right out of heaven. God spoke to me and said, do you really know who I am? Do you really know who I am? Jesus said, except you believe that I am he. You shall die in your sins. I'm telling you, hallelujah. He said, man, he said, I felt the Holy Ghost come on me and said, she said, can you tell me what he meant by that? She said, oh, yes, ma'am. I can tell you uh, what he meant by that because we've got to know that Jesus is the mighty God, that Jesus is the everlasting father. He had an opportunity to tell her, said, when you got baptized, uh, they said, Father, Son, and Holy Ghost over you, but that's not who he is. That's just, uh, that's just what, he, what he consists of, but his name, come on, his name is Jesus, and it's the only name under heaven given among men whereby we must be saved. He said, Brother Carson, God is starting to reveal this to Trinitarians all over the world. He's speaking to them and tell them, you got to know who I am. Because if you don't know that he is, that he is the mighty God, he is the Father, he is the Son, he is the Holy Ghost, you're not going to be baptized in his name, believing in a Trinity. You have to know that there's one God. Hallelujah. The Father of all, who's above all, through all, and in you all. Hallelujah. If you're going to be baptized, in his name. Just, just this Sunday morning, this elderly lady that was here, Miss Summers, I believe is her name, is that right? Walked up here, been Baptist all of her life. She said, My mother would turn over in her grave if she knew I was going to a Pentecostal church. But about a year ago, they started watching our telecast uh, every Sunday morning. And God moved on their hearts, said, something going on there. And we want to go see what it's about. Heard the pastor preach and said, that's the kind of preaching we need. It's somebody that gets in the word and tells it like the Bible said. And she walked right there to where Ashton's sitting and stood there Sunday morning, looked over at my wife and said, would it, can you ever, is it right there? get baptized more than once and my wife began to explain to her sure yes and, and talked to her about Jesus name baptism she said I want to be baptized in Jesus name oh hallelujah oh thank you Lord I'm going to tell you, there's people that are getting a revelation of who Jesus is that you might never thought would have had it And here's what takes place. When you know who he is, then you want to be like him. So these priests are just like us. We are priesthood. And guess what? They walked on dirt and we're walking on dirt. And because every day we're still in this world, we have a fleshly body that has to deal with flesh and deal with dirt and deal with carnality and deal with devils and deal with spiritual wickedness in high places. Come on, we are, we're not fighting one another. We are fighting spiritual warfare. And this is how the battle is won. Heard the singers sing the other night. It's not by bombs and guns, but worship is how the battle is won. It's not just how the battle is won. It's how the war is won. It's how we become victorious. Laying the flesh on the altar for one thing. That, that typifies repentance. Death. Dying out to the old nature 
dying out to sin. But then if we don't have a cleansing, come on, if we don't have a washing after we're dead, then it has profited us nothing. Our sin is still upon us until it's washed away in the precious blood of Jesus Christ through water baptism in his name. So brings us to the labor. Look at this. This is interesting. Exodus 38 and verse eight said, and he made the laver of brass and the foot of the brass of the looking glasses of the women assembling, which assembled at the door of the tabernacle of the congregation. The laver was made with looking glasses or mirrors of the women of Israel which they carried from Egypt when they left there on that Passover night. Now, a mirror reflects the natural features of the individual person looking into it. Mirrors, mirrors are for the glorification of the flesh and the gratification of the old nature. Hmm? I'm gonna say that a little slower. Mirrors are for the glorification of the flesh and the gratification of the old nature. If you find yourself, I have a problem with these people that are always taking selfies. You get on, get on their social media site and you can tell who they're in love with. Oh, yeah, they're their favorite subject. And you don't even have to carry a little pocket mirror around with you anymore. You just open up your phone, put the camera mode on, and flip it around where you can see yourself. And our people see it doing it all the time. If we could get that much in love with Jesus. So he says, guess what? We're going to make this labor out of your mirrors. Bring me all your mirrors. You don't need all that. Come on. You don't need all that self-gratification. You don't need all that ego anyway. Bring it and give it under the work of the Lord. And they actually, and, and, and I found out something. This is amazing. Every piece of furniture in that, in that tabernacle had dimensions to it. Except this brazen labor. It just said he made it out of looking glasses. It didn't say how big it was, how large it was, how high it was, anything else. Oh, the altar, it was way up there, five, six foot tall, and it was about seven feet in each direction, square, and it was overladen with brass, and you can see all the dimensions of everything in there except the labor. I didn't find any dimensions. And I, I'm, I'm one of these that, I don't take all this stuff as just coincidence. God had a purpose in that. Because I'm telling you that, that washing of water by the word, that cleansing and sanctification power of the word of God and the spirit of God is infinite. Hallelujah. There, you can't measure the power. You can't measure the love of God. You can't put it in a container. And it's something, it's not a one-time thing. It is a continual work, a continual thing. These mirrors are a symbol of human vanity and human pride. The women of Israel were to surrender these looking glasses to be made into a labor of cleansing. The labor then speaks of separation from the flesh and from the world. From the old nature with its pride and lust, carnal habits and sins. It's where you get the dirt of this world washed off your feet and off your hands and off your mind. Matter of fact, when Jesus knelt down there before Peter and said, Peter, I'm going to wash your feet. Give me a piece. Oh, no, Lord, you can. I'll wash your feet, but you're not going. You're not going to wash my feet. I, I, I'm not worthy of such a thing. He said, "If if I don't wash your feet, then you're not going to have any part of me." 
He said, whoo, then wash my head and all the way, head to toe. <laughs> we got to get to that point where we can say, as we come to the labor of worship, Lord Jesus, I'm going to look in here and I see something that I don't like. I, I see a reflection because you see the mirrors reflected your face and the water reflected your face and you look at yourself and when you see disgust and you see ungodliness and you see carnality and you see flesh, uh, there's something, praise God, that begins to work inside that says, oh God, take my image away and give me your image. You're in the image of almighty God. Be ye holy, God said, as I'm holy. It's that labor that's the type of separation from the things of this world, the washing away. An important part of our worship is a continual, everybody say continual, washing and cleansing of ourselves by the word of God. The tabernacle had no floor. It was made of dirt, earth, so there had to be a continual washing of the priest's feet and hands. In this fleshly tabernacle, we are still in the world. Jesus said that. You're in the world, but you're not of it. We're still in this world, and at times we become defiled by sin. Now, if you sit there and shake your head and say, not me, I don't sin. The Bible says you're a liar, and the truth is not in you. Whosoever saith hath no sin. But thank God we have an infinite supply of the power of the word of God to cleanse us. Woo, hallelujah, from all sin. Now, we know that the labor, I could talk about the plan of salvation going through the tabernacle. We could talk about the altar represents repentance. The labor represents baptism. Going into the uh, the, the sanctuary, you got the word represented by the light and you got the bread over here represented by the word also uh, and all of those things. And then you go in behind the veil to the Holy of Holies in the presence of God and receive the Holy Ghost. We could talk about all that. But this, this thing is bigger than just a plan of salvation. Just a one, two, three step thing. It's bigger than, uh, I love Brother Mangan's a book on pray, praying through the tabernacle, but it's more than just a pattern of prayer. It's more than just a pattern of salvation. It is a pattern of daily worship. Every day they had to go in there and light those candlesticks. Every day they had to go in there. It was a, it was a continual thing that there be fire upon the altar. Understanding that, the Bible says, 1 John 1 and 9 if we confess our sins, he is faithful. Now, who is John talking to here? To the church. Because you see, even though this labor represents initially water baptism, which remits our sins and washes away the filth of the, of the sin nature through the blood of Jesus Christ and water baptism. What's the Bible say? For the what? Remission of sins. Yet it is much more than just a one-time thing. Because how many of you, you don't have to raise your hand, but since you got baptized, have sinned? <laughs> well, you'd have a wrinkle-skinned pastor if every time you sinned, he had to rebaptize you. Whew. Baptizing applies the blood of Jesus Christ when you're baptized in Jesus' name and that blood is a continual act of, of remission and so he's saying unto the believer that what we're doing now when we come to the labor is letting the word of God penetrate our heart and showing us what we've done wrong when we look into that reflection and see something that is ungodly. That's called I really need to say this correctly because we don't hear much about it anymore. Conviction. Used to be 
people got under conviction. Preached word brought conviction. The Bible said when Peter was speaking these words, they were pricked in their heart and said, men and brethren, what shall we do? What does that pricking in the heart mean? It means conviction. It's what causes you to grab a hold of the pew in front of you and hang on for dear life. Boy, something's saying, get down to that altar. You need to repent of your sins. You need to get baptized in Jesus' name. So conviction is brought when the word of God is revealed unto us. And so he's telling the church now, if you'll confess your sins, he is faithful. Everybody say he's faithful. And he's just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse and to cleanse. See, at the altar, forgiveness was wrought, but at the labor, cleansing was wrought to cleanse it he is able he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness Ephesians 5 and 26 and verse 27 Paul says concerning the church that he might sanctify and cleanse it with the washing of water by the word Now he's talking to the church. Initially, we're washed in water baptism in the name of Jesus for the cleansing and for the sanctifying, washing away our sins. But after that one initial baptism, it's the word of God that pricks our heart and penetrates us and moves us back to the labor again. Not to go back in the baptistry. No, but in looking into the perfect law of liberty and seeing in the word of God. Washing of water by the word now, he's saying to the church. Some, some denominations won't take that and just say that we don't need water baptism because we get washed by the water of the word. No, 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 no. He's preaching this, telling this to the church that he might sanctify and cleanse the church with the washing of water by the word that he might present it to himself a glorious church not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that it should be holy and without blemish. Oh, how meticulous we are when we're getting dressed to go somewhere to look in that full-length mirror and make sure that nothing's wrinkled. No spots, no blemishes. How's the back look? Get two mirrors. Oh, if we could be that meticulous with our souls and go to the laver and look inside that looking glass of the word of God, that washing of water. I'm going to tell you, you're looking at a man that's looked in there before and didn't like what he saw. I mean, we all have... That carnal nature still inside us, ready to rise up. That old man, that old man. Joseph asked his brothers before they even knew who he was, is the old man yet alive? (laughs) I think we need to be asked that question sometimes. Is our old man still alive? Does he resurrect every once in a while with a spirit of... But if we... Something happened when the water got troubled. Whoo, hallelujah. That old figure that we saw in there, that ugly carnal nature began to ripple in the water and all of a sudden there was a reflection. Something began to get a hold of our heart that says, I'm gonna change, I'm gonna become more like him and a cleansing began to take place through the washing of water by the word and suddenly we look in the bottom of that labor and we're not looking at our old carnal self, we're seeing the face of Jesus. Come on, we're seeing the image of the Lord. have no wrinkle, no blemish, no spot, any such thing, but holy, holy, holy. 
going to tell you something. We, we apostolic folks like to think we can make ourselves holy, but we can't make ourselves holy. Holiness is something that takes place when God washes away the carnal nature and puts that spiritual man in, transforms the carnal mind into a spiritual mind. So the labor represents an integral part of our salvation and worship to God. Hallelujah. It signifies our cleansing of sin by the washing of water by the word. Or, if I can put it another way, by our obedience to the word. The word of God becomes a looking glass to examine our souls. James 1 and 21. I'm going to try to hurry. I got a lot of scriptures. Probably won't be able to get to half of them. Wherefore, James 1, 21 down through verse 25. Wherefore, lay apart, get rid of, cast away all filthiness. Does anybody know we're walking on dirt? We may be the priesthood. We may be a holy nation. We may be a peculiar people, but we're still made of dirt. So we've got a battle every day. That's why Paul, the great apostle, the man that wrote most of the New Testament, said, I die daily. I die daily. Wherefore, lay aside all filthiness and superfluity of naughtiness and receive with meekness the engrafted word which is able to save your souls. James is talking to us, folks. He's talking to the church. He said, we need to lay aside. One, one writer put it like this. Casting every care upon him for he careth for you. Another writer wrote it like this, that we should lay aside the, the sin and the weight which doth so easily beset us or cause us to lose the race. Lay aside and receive the engrafted word I mean, he's glad God engrafted his word in your heart. That's what he said I'm going to do. That old covenant, he said, I wrote it on stone. But this new covenant, I'm going to write it on the tablets of your heart. That's why our worship has got to be more than lip service. That's why our praise and, and our obedience and our listening to the word of God has got to be more than just going in one ear and out the other. Something's got to be engraved in our hearts. Oh, God. I'm going to tell you something. God wants to give this church the greatest revival that it's ever seen. We've just seen in the last few months a little tip of the iceberg of what God wants to do. But don't for one minute think that Satan is just going to sit back in a lazy boy recliner, prop his feet up and let it happen. He's going to fight it with everything that he's got. He's going to bring every demon in hell against every one of you saints of God, against this man of God, against everybody in this church to get you divided, to get you hateful, to get you bitter. Come on, anything he can get you to keep you from being a recipient of the engrafted word of God. It's not a give me. Some prophet can't come by and say, you're going to have the greatest revival you've ever had and then leave and, and then we think, okay, let it come. When's it happening, guys? Uh-uh. We need a trip every day to the labor. Our worship got to be more than just a uh, praise and hallelujah. A little jig and a little dance every once in a while. It's got to be something that changes us from the inside out. Woo, hallelujah. The inside out. So he goes on to say, so he's still talking to the church now, James is. He says, so be ye doers of the word. And not hearers only, deceiving your own selves. 
For if any man be a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is like unto a man beholding his natural face in a looking glass or a mirror. And there we are. We stand there and say, ooh, ooh, is that me? Is that me that preacher's preaching about? Oh, it must be my neighbor. <laughs> it can't be me. Last time I looked, I was clean and whole and, and But the man that only sees it or hears it but doesn't do anything about it. He said he beholds his face in a, in a glass and then goes his way and immediately. Have you got that scripture you can put up there? Because I want people to see that. It's James 1. Okay, there you are, 23. If any man be a hearer of the word, not a doer, he's like unto a man beholding his natural face in a glass. What kind of face? <laughs> There's that old nature, that old man. And he sees him and he says, man, I don't like what I'm looking at. I need to do something about this, but look at the next verse. For he beholdeth himself, then goes his way and straightway forgetteth what manner of man he was. I'm longing, I'll be honest with you, I'm longing for the day when we're not just momentarily stirred, when we're not just temporarily shook up, when we look in the mirror of that labor and we see that natural, that carnal, that dirty man, that we don't want to recognize and can't recognize sometimes as ourself. And we, oh, we can recognize he's preaching about somebody else. Oh yeah. But, but, but not me, you know. But when we see it, we got a choice right there. We can say, God, I'm getting in your word. <clears throat> not my feet only, Lord, but my head and all of me. Just wash me clean. Or we can say, eh, that might have been me, but might not have been either. And then just go on our way and we don't do a thing about it. Or we get stirred up on Sunday night and by Monday morning it's forgotten. Hello. Watch this now. For he beholdeth himself, then goes his way and straightway or immediately forgets what manner of man he was. But, oh, I love this. But whoso looketh into the perfect law of liberty and continueth thereat. You see, this labor trip isn't a one-time thing. Come on, this, this journey in the word of God, I'm gonna tell you, that's as much as an important part of our worship as coming to church, as shouting hallelujah, as lifting our hands. We must worship at the labor. We must get in there and say, oh God, I wanna get in your word and I want your word to get in me and I want you to change me into the man that I ought to be. And it will happen when we look into the perfect law of liberty and continue therein, not being a forgetful hearer, but a doer of the work. This man shall be blessed in his deed. So the labor typifies more than just a cleansing process. It typifies a transforming process. It transforms us. Our minds are transformed from a carnal mind to a spiritual mind. I don't want to just be a, have a little change on Sunday night. I want something that'll keep me on Monday and keep me on Tuesday and bring me back again Wednesday night. Say, so give me some more of that word, God, because we grow from glory to glory. Watch this, it's a everybody say continual thing. Second Corinthians 3 and 18 says, but we all with open face, beholding as in a, as in a glass. You got that labor, that picture of a labor, labor. Can you put that up if you get, yeah, there it is. Looking in that, that looking glass, looking at the reflection in that water. He said, that we 
all with open face. Come on, folks. You, you, quick, get real. Don't come to church and put on your mask. Put on your sanctified face. Hmm? Oh, we're good at that. How you doing, brother? Oh, it's good, good to see you. I love 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 you. You know that guy's the biggest hypocrite in church. You know that, that you've ever heard. Don't don't get around this guy. Oh, come on now. We say one thing to somebody's face, and then behind their back, we're talking something else. God wants you to have an open face, not a shameful face, not a mask that acts like one thing and something else somewhere else. But with open face, beholding as in a glass, as in a mirror, the glory, what are you beholding now? When we get into that word, suddenly, when we see ourselves, we're seeing the glory of the Lord. Because we are changed into the same image. Come on. This is the whole purpose of the labor that we can get into that washing of the water by the word until we don't see ourselves as the filthy sinner that we are. We start seeing a transformation take place and suddenly the face that was reflecting evil is reflecting Jesus Christ and we are seeing his image in the water. That's what this is saying. We are transformed into the image from glory to glory, even as by the Spirit of the Lord. Oh, hallelujah. Do we understand tonight? Church, do you understand this is a continual thing? And, and don't worry, he's not going to run out of word. He's not going to run out of water. Heaven and earth can pass away, but his word is forever settled in heaven. Come on, that word will never pass away. There's always going to be plenty of it, but we've got to do it. Come on, we've got to obey it. We've got to get into it, and we've got to get it in us. If we're ever going to go from glory to glory. And that's how it ought to be. We ought to be continually growing. Say, whoo, I see a little of the glory of the Lord in there now. And next service, I come back. Oh, oh, look at there. There's a little bit more of the glory of the Lord. And until finally, one day, one day, the Bible said we shall see him as he is. <laughs> Doth not yet appear what we shall be, but we know that when we see him, oh, we know, hallelujah, we're gonna be like him, hallelujah. We're gonna see the image of Jesus Christ reflecting back into us. We hadn't got there yet. We're all working on it. Well, I said we're all working on it. The transformation of the internal nature comes from looking into the word of God on a regular basis. Not just on Bible study night, not just on Sunday morning. Sunday. I mean, you need in this word every day. Give us this day our daily bread. Setting forth his image before us, which we will become if we continue in his word. That is the larger message of the labor, folks. Transformation by the word of God into the image of Jesus Christ. When you got baptized in the water, that was just the start. But now, daily, we got to go back to the water. We got to go back to the water, washing of water by the word got to be obedient to the word every day we don't measure ourselves by each other we measure ourselves by the immeasurable labor of the word of God it has no limits it is a continual cleansing and washing what greater way can we show our worship to God than to seek his face live in his word until we become like him. The brazen altar and the brazen laver work in conjunction with each other. The altar was where the death of the flesh and the shedding of the blood took place, type of repentance. And the laver was where the washing, cleansing, and separation from the filth of sin took place, which was a type of remission. 
2 Corinthians 6 and verse 16 through 18 says, And what agreement hath the temple of God with idols? For ye are the temple of the living God. As God hath said, I will dwell in them and walk in them, and I will be their God, and they shall be my people. Therefore, because of that, come out from among them and be ye separate, saith the Lord, and touch not the unclean thing, and I will receive you. Does does anybody see any promises here? He says, I will dwell in them and walk in them. I will be their God. They shall be my people. Come out from among them. Be separate. Be clean. And I will receive you and will be a father unto you. And you shall be my sons and daughters, saith the Lord Almighty. Then really there shouldn't be no separation of chapters. This is a continuation. Chapter 7, verse 1, continuation of this thought. Because he says, having therefore these promises that we just read. Dearly beloved, let us cleanse ourselves from all filthiness of the flesh and spirit, perfecting holiness in the fear of God. The word perfect here, perfecting means complete. Complete holiness. It's not enough just to have and look on the outside. Yes, we should dress modestly. Yes, we should do what the word of God says and there should be separation between men and women. Yes, but if it doesn't start on the inside, filthiness of the flesh. I've seen people that had the, oh, they had that flesh down pat, but that filthy spirit they had. Gossip, run people down, criticize everything. We've got to, Cleanse ourselves of all. Everybody say all. All filthiness of the flesh and spirit, perfecting holiness. How? In the fear of God. I'm going to try to close here in the next hour. (laughs) When Israel came out of Egypt, sad to say they brought much of Egypt with them. How many of you know they didn't, never got Egypt out of their hearts? For 430 years, they've been exposed to the ungodly customs of the Egyptians, especially the worst thing, idolatry. The worship of false gods. The gold, silver, brass, jewels, and cloth that they took from the Egyptians was never meant to be used to adorn themselves. Hear me now. Because if that were the case, it'd be self-worship. It was meant to be used for the tabernacle and for the instruments of worship to God. Barely had the Israelites crossed the Red Sea until they were demanding Aaron to make them gods. Egypt was so embedded in them for 430 years. They, they were carrying that custom. We need something we can touch, something we can see, something shiny. If we're not careful, we may not make us idols of calves and gold. But if we're not careful, we can make idols of Sports, we can make idols of people, we can make idols of money, we can make idols of things. Give me the glitter and the shine. No, no. I want you to watch what happened. Aaron said unto them, Break off the golden earrings which are in the ears of your wives, of your sons, and of your daughters, and bring them unto me. And the people break off the golden earrings which were in their ears and brought them unto Aaron. And instead of him melting it down and putting it to where it was supposed to be in the tabernacle and building and putting on these instruments and the ark and everything, he received them at their hand and fashioned it with a graving tool after he had made it a molden calf. And they said, these be thy gods, O Israel, which brought thee up out of the land of Egypt. And when Aaron saw it, it's amazing, Robinson. 
Instead of condemning them, he built an altar before that idol. Oh, how the devil wants to imitate our worship. But I'm telling you something. Folks, we don't need to copy after the world. They want to copy after us, but I'm going to tell you the only real thing is when we say, I've got to have the presence of God in my life. I need the real gold inside me. That's why when Moses came down off the mountain, he took and crushed the thing to powder and scattered it in their water and said, now drink it. He said, the gold shouldn't be out here adorning yourself, worshiping you. It ought to be inside you. Even the apostles made that clear when he said, don't let your adorning be that outward adorning of the wearing of gold and pearls and costly array, but let it be that inward man of the heart in a spirit of meekness, worshiping God, worshiping God. The, I want to just touch on this. Give me five more minutes, please. The wearing of earrings was associated with idolatry from the earliest times. They were used as amulets or charms to invoke their gods to protect them from harm or danger. When Jacob was told by God to return to Bethel, which means the house of God, and build an altar there, he first called his family who had been living among the heathen Syrians for so long that they had taken up a lot of their customs. You remember Rachel's own father had, a, had his own little idol and she stole it from him when they left and all that stuff. But before he would go to build that altar in the house of God, he called his family to cleanse them. Genesis 35, two and through four. Then Jacob said unto his household and to all that were with him, Put away the strange gods that are among you and be clean and change your garments and let us arise and go up to Bethel and I will make there an altar unto God who answered me in the day of my distress and was with me in the way which I went and watch this. They gave unto Jacob all the strange gods which were in their hand and all their earrings which were in their ears. And Jacob hid them under the oak which was by Shechem. Bury this stuff. I'm going to tell you something. We don't need the things of this world. Watch me what I'm saying to you. Just take it as a warning from an old guy. I've been around now started pastoring my first church this year, 50 years ago, 1971. I've seen a lot in those 50 years. I've watched as some people want to see just how close they can get to the world and still be saved. But hear me tonight, please. Pardon me, pastor, for being a little pastoral, but I've, I've got to say it. We don't need to be seeing how close we can get to the world and still be rapture ready. We need to be seeing how close can I get to looking like Jesus looks in that, in that labor. We don't need the fads and the fashions of this world hanging all over us and adorning and adoring our flesh. We need to say, I'm going to put on the ornament of a meek and quiet spirit of holiness, which is a beauty unto God. Woo, hallelujah. Mm. Hallelujah. Stand with me tonight. Our next step and our next lesson, we're going to enter into the sanctuary. Woo, hallelujah. But we never, hear me, folks. We never get the altar and the labor out of our system. It's a continual dying out to this carnal nature. How many, how many be honest with me and say, you know you've got some dying out to do? Come on, raise your hand. You know it. I know it. 
we do. There's only one true God and his name is Jesus. So as we prepare next lesson to enter into that sanctuary, the altar of sacrifice and the labor of cleansing are two important instruments in our worship to God. In closing, I want to read this scripture to you. First Chronicles 16 and 29. Give unto the Lord the glory due unto his name. Bring an offering. We're talking about worship tonight. Give to the Lord glory that his name's worthy of. Bring an offering. We're not just talking about money-wise. We're talking about offering our bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable unto God. And come before him. Everybody read that last part. Worship the Lord in the beauty of holiness. Young ladies, young men, don't look to Hollywood for your fashion and your fads. Don't let the devil lie to you and tell you, oh, if I dress in a holy manner, people will think I'm old-fashioned. They'll think I'm not cool. I'm going to tell you, there's nothing as beautiful as holiness. Nothing. And when we worship God in the beauty of holiness, we look in that labor and suddenly we see more of Jesus than we do of flesh. If you tonight would like to just say, I I feel like I need to draw a little nearer to God in this end time. Been a pull from the world dragging on me, but I wanna I wanna turn loose of it and I wanna I wanna come to the labor this evening. I don't know, but I feel like making evangelistic call in this Bible study that says, Lord, I wanna make sure that I'm covered by the blood that I'm washed by the blood, that I'm cleansed by your presence, by your word, by your spirit.